My name is Ian Boswell. I was a world tour professional cyclist for seven years. Skyrider from the USA is a fighter. Well, Ian Boswell is turning up the cranks. Also the host of this fine podcast, Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. The Breakfast with Boz podcast dives into the world of endurance sports, whether it's cycling, multi-sport, running, anything that inspires us to get out and move, we cover right here on Breakfast with Boz. Let's get cooking on Breakfast with Boz. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I'm your host, Ian Boswell, in the kitchen with the whole family this morning. Our dog just ran away, and our neighbor brought Winston back. Ingrid's in her little jump up. I actually just finished my breakfast sandwich, but my wife is uh, gobbling hers down. We have something a little different this morning. I don't think we've ever done focaccia on Breakfast with Boz. Maybe we have. But we had focaccia last night with some burrata, and this morning we decided to make an Italian breakfast sandwich. So we took the focaccia, we toasted it, put some avocado on there, which is not very uh, Italian, maybe more hipster Italian. But then we did a poached egg, and Gretchen made a little... We did put Parmesan cheese on there as well, Italian. And this sauce, Gretchen, uh, your father brought up a bunch of bell peppers that were going off and we decided to make a sauce. And I was at the grocery store yesterday and I was supposed to buy cilantro, but I accidentally bought parsley and we already had a lot of parsley. So what sauce did you whip up in the oven this morning? Oh, I just am trying to use things up, I guess. So I mixed together the peppers, the parsley, some garlic, a shallot, an onion, tossed it with olive oil, and then a little salt and pepper and whizzed it up in the Cuisinart. Um, it's pretty good. Be good on, yeah, it's a good little sauce or be good with pasta or it's good on the breakfast sandwich. But the focaccia, I'd been craving it for a while. I'm glad to have some focaccia. Yeah, focaccia is one of our, well, it's probably my favorite bread. Um, we don't have it often, which maybe kind of makes it more of my favorite because it's somewhat scarce. And this is a perfect breakfast to dive into today's episode because today I'm going to be speaking with professional gravel cyclist Sarah Sturm, who recently attended the UCI Gravel World Championships over in Veneto, Italy. So we're going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about something she did that was pretty fun and that I was able to take part in at SBT Gravel this year. She also did a second event down at Big Sugar, and that was her It's Supposed to Be Fun campaign, which is a great great idea on Sarah's part and a great reminder to all of us that whether you want to ride fast, whether you want to ride for fun, it's supposed to be fun. It's a pretty simple concept that sometimes I think we get away from. And this is kind of my second podcast, and I'm not calling this a mini series, but the last episode I did was with Ted King, kind of about the changing landscape of gravel. Sarah and I talk a bit about that. And I guess with the whole, it's supposed to be fun campaign, we kind of dive into the evolving world of gravel racing. And because I've had these two conversations I think the next episode is going to be with my buddy Marshall, who has a different perspective on where gravel came from and where it's going. But before that, let's chat with my good friend, and I think also a three-timer on Breakfast with Boz, professional cyclist out of Durango, Colorado, Sarah Sturm. Sometimes you feel like your self-worth is like a number associated with you crossing 
oftentimes an imaginary line. <laughs> so it's like kind of hard to like keep that into perspective. The reason that I committed more to gravel than cyclocross, it's like the resources, like it's cool to be in a sport where like I, when I won BWR, granted it was a different time in, in the landscape of gravel racing, but I literally just showed up. Well, Sarah, I, uh, wanted to speak to you because I guess I figured it was near the end of the season, but uh, you've still got cyclocross single speed world championships in your, I guess, new yes. hometown or your place of residence uh, yes. in Durango coming up. Yes. Um, yeah. I, after Big Sugar, I was like, woohoo, off season and uh, spent a day like running errands. And then I got a text from my coach and he was like, I thought you were doing single speed worlds. I was like, oh, yes, it's such a weird one for me because it it feels like the most important race of my season <laughs> in some ways because it's like here and um, it's just really fun. But then I like don't I'm fried. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to continue to train. <laughs> well, and it, uh, I mean, and it, yeah, I mean, you, and have, you can't really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you've had a long season, I guess this is kind of a perfect segue to where yeah. I kind of want, what I wanted to ask you about, um, cause it has been a long year and I think the year is becoming longer for people who are doing this privateer model, you know, with yeah. some mountain bike, the lifetime stuff, gravel stuff. Um, you did this, the first UCI gravel world championships, but I feel like something like the single speed cyclocross world championships really was like the beginning or like maybe the foundation of a, of a campaign you did this year, it's supposed to be fun. Um, because I mean, I guess I am sure that people take cyclocross world championship single speed seriously. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like having witnessed a few when it used to be up in, in Oregon and, you know, there's this tattoo that you have to get if you win or you're supposed to get. Um, it's kind of the ultimate like, hey, we're riding hard, but this is kind of just a party on two wheels. Um but so to, I guess, bring the up to speed this year at the Leadville 100 and then at SBT, you did a little project called It's Supposed to Be Fun, which I think is really resonated with me and I think also resonated with you. Um, well, clearly, since you kind of started the, the, the project and wanted to share this message, um, but it kind of embodies currently where competitive gravel is at you know it started as one thing it's become something else and kind of reminding people that there are two sides to this um not maybe two sides but there are there's a spectrum of how to participate and be at events whether you're winning whether you're riding so i just want to hear from you um, and you did launch a film that you can find on wahoo's youtube channel it's supposed to be fun um but how this kind of came about and i guess was this something recently that kind of popped into your head as racing has become more focused, but as people in the middle of, in the back of the bunch of these events, they've been having more fun than ever, probably. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you did a really great, man, I should just like pass the mic to you <laughs> and have like a phone with a friend whenever someone talks to me about the supposed to be fun project. You did a great job just, you know, understanding like the whole scope of what <laughs> the season has meant it especially like for me personally like I guess I'll go back um a little bit in time but I got back into racing after quitting from the pro XCT 
scene. I had even done like a couple of road races, like the Gila. And I was, you know, wanting to be a professional athlete, but I don't, I, I just was not enjoying any, literally any part of it. I don't think I was also a lot younger. And um, so I quit and then a year or two passes. And the thing that like, I was like really excited about and stoked on was um, training for single speed worlds when they were in Portland, Oregon, which is in a lot of ways, like kind of the Mecca of like the U S cyclocross scene. It, you, the cross scene in the U S used to be a lot different. There was like a pretty big uh, grand prix sort of um, uh, style race series. Um, Sorry, I'm just slowly waiting for this coffee to kick in. <laughs> and um, and then, you know, the North Pacific Northwest just has such a fun scene. And I was like, I hired one of my friends to coach me. And I was like, I know this is really weird. And most people don't like train for this sort of thing. But I'm not doing any racing at all. But I want to like prepare for this. And it was like the first time in my life that bike racing was fun. Um, just because like I learned to be in the competitive field like in college so like i guess my whole history of of riding a bike was always like with competition and so it was really hard for me to know how to balance that with like enjoyment um and i'll fast forward to current day i had some interesting conversations with my friend sophia who is a very different character in the cycling world when we were staying at the same place in Italy for gravel world championships. And um, she, she was telling, so she had a film project launch when we were there and um, <laughs> she's just, a, she has a totally different approach to the sport. You know, for her, it's strictly business. It was a thing that she was good at and a way for her to make money. And she has said publicly, like, this is not fun for me. Like I, I just do this because it's my job. And I have a totally different approach. And so I was explaining, she was like, can you explain to me like this supposed to be fun project? And I was like, oh boy, this will be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so like, I was like, listen, I think the point of this is that as for me, as a pro racer, it's, it's hard and it gets harder and harder. And as we, as we've seen, the scene of gravel has changed year to year. I mean, I've only been racing it for four years and every single year, I'm not counting 2020, has been a totally different landscape of competition and sport. And it's a good thing, but it makes it makes you have to take some time and decide how you want to be in that space and what you want to focus on. And for me, I want to focus on like the high end like performance side, but I also want to maintain the true reason that I am doing a sport for my job, which is, it's a cool opportunity. I get to enjoy myself. It is about riding a bike. And for me, it is about having fun and enjoying myself and the people around me and the places that I go. And I don't think you have to sacrifice that in order to be successful in whatever that means for an individual. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you said it perfectly and, and it, I guess, you know, I, know Sophia. I think we've spoken a couple of times. I don't know her well. Um, but it's funny, you know, having raced in the world tour, there's a lot of, you know, male and female Sophia. cyclists. Yeah. Who, I mean, and this is, this is their job. Like when they retire, totally. they, they don't want to ride their bike. You know, I stopped racing on the road, like as, as you stopped racing, you know, XC, but I still love riding my bike. And it's just, it's yeah. interesting to me 
to see how, I guess, how really how this space has changed, where it kind of, you know, in the last podcast I did with Ted King, we kind of talked about like, it's almost for, for us, it's almost like a retirement tour. Like, cool, we still get to race our bikes. We still get to travel. Well, that's, that's what it, it used to be. And like, I think a lot of people do enter the sport for that reason as well. Like, I, I feel like you're in really good company, but you and Ted for sure were like the ones who are like, cool, this is like the fun having side of yeah. our job. <laughs> yeah, we'd done, we'd done the, I don't say the dirty work, but we'd done, we put in the hard miles, for we'd sure. spent time living over in Europe and, you know, being away for holidays and Christmas and, you know, made those sacrifices. I'm like, oh, cool, we still got to do this at a really high level, but enjoy it and mm. not feel stressed. But, you know, of course, it's things things change. And I'm sure as, you know, we've seen in, in every discipline of, of cycling or other sports, you know, a few people come in and they not, you know, they bring up the level and it becomes more serious for everyone. If you want to be competitive, you have to start making those sacrifices. Um, yeah. You know, so at SBT this year and at, you know, so you raced in Leadville, uh, which was mm-hmm. a lifetime event. And then the following day is SBT. Mm-hmm. I actually I saw you at the finish. I came to your bus. Did you actually ride some of the event during SBT? No, you didn't. No, it was, and it, it's interesting. So we actually had um, a supposed to be fun event at Big Sugar as well, and that one I did race. And um, you know, I had I had a lot of fun at Steamboat. I thought I was going to have some serious like FOMO. <laughs> from not racing, especially as like the defending lead boat champion. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know, like I was really focused on Leadville. Like that was a big, a big race for me personally, for some silly reason. I don't know why that race has become like the one that I'm like, I will conquer Leadville and win it one day. And I didn't win it. So I was like pretty bummed about that. But then um, watching people, finish like i mean people who did what are, what were the distances like for 35 miles like there yeah, were some I think 35 shorter 60 distances. yeah yeah so like i was pretty busy all day like we basically had time to like watch you guys like leave wave cheer and then like uh go back to the tent and then people were like finishing and we were taking portraits of people which is really cool because you know i used to be in the like art scene the graphic design and photography stuff was like a really cool like way to incorporate like my old life <laughs> into this I mean I was not the one taking photos my friend um, Kenza who's a professional photographer took some amazing beautiful portraits of people just absolutely shelled after their races or really stoked so it was fun to like see the full spectrum and my takeaway was that the people who have it figured out are the ones who did the 60 miler. Yeah. Um, it was like just challenging enough um, that they like, you know, had to push themselves. But then they're like, I, I talked to a lot of them and they're like, well, I don't know. I, why would I have done the longest one? I would have spent my entire day just riding a bike and I would have missed all this other stuff. Like I would have missed hanging out with my family, my partner, like, going to restaurants and I was like, Oh my God, you're so smart. That never even occurred to me to do the shorter distances. Yeah. Well, and it's something that I had the opportunity to do this year at SBT is I rode the hundred mile. I think the blue, I think it's called blue, Yeah. maybe red. I think black is the long one. Red maybe is black the, is the long one. I think you yeah. did blue. <laughs> maybe it was blue. Yeah. But I mean, it was something that I considered, you know, I was riding on an e-bike with panniers, riding support. Yeah. You know, you I, a, well, you were busy. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, it was something I also thought about initially we were going to do the, 
the long course, the 160, 140, I can't remember what it is. But I thought, well, most people in that event are also more experienced. They maybe don't need the help that someone who signed up for the 60 or the 100 or the 30 may need just because they, you know, they probably, if you've signed up for a 160 mile race, you've probably done a event before and you know how to fix a flat. But we did the middle length events and the courses kind of all overlap. And it was really eye opening for me. And I think, you know, we spoke at the finish of just like what people sign up for and how Mm-hmm. how over their head they're in it, but how much they're loving it for something mm-hmm. that is, you know, it's, it's one of the best days of their summer, yeah. you know, which is super cool to see. And you, you and myself, you know, so many other people we kind of see regularly, we're kind of in this traveling circus of oftentimes we kind of don't stay within this bubble, but we see each other every week, you know, week in, week out. Okay. It's another event, whether it's in Texas or Kansas or, you know, yeah. Bentonville, for us, it's just another event. But for a lot of these people, this is their one event of the year. You know, SBT yeah. is their one event or, you know, Big Sugar. Or Big like, Sugar. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's it's really eye-opening to see how, you know, important and kind of inspirational these events are for, you know, the masses. You know, there's a handful yeah. of us who are racing, but there's a lot of people who are there participating. And I think that's what was right. so cool that you were able to do was like share this message, you know, to, to the masses, but also to the other, your fellow pro riders that like, Hey, there's also different ways that we can do some of these events. You're not saying, and I think maybe sometimes what you or I say gets lost in translation of people thinking like, Oh, well, you don't care about it. It's like, well, no, you do care about winning. It's not anti-racing like that. And I remember you and I had a conversation about that. Um, and I, and I talked to Matt as well. And I, I wanted to be like really cognizant of, you know, I, I love racing. Um, sometimes I have a complicated relationship with it. Like anyone does with their job, especially a high stress job that like, sometimes you feel like your self-worth is like a number associated with you crossing (laughs) oftentimes an imaginary line. (laughs) So it's like kind of hard to like keep that into perspective. But like, I guess my, my point with that is that I didn't want it to come across as anti-racing. Cause like, I, I love sport. I love competition. I like pushing myself and being around a driven group of people. And I would say everyone who toes the line in any shape or form, um, who want, they want to finish what they started out to do. And that's honestly like a really inspiring energy and, you know, experience of a collective experience to be around. And it's, it's not just for bike racers. In fact, I think we, as the, I, I keep saying this and I keep hearing it, but like the pointy end of the sport, I think it's like kind of a funny way of explaining like bike racers make up such a small part of the entire scene. And what I, you know, what I saw with gravel that I only have ever really felt at like a cyclocross event is that like, it's a cool thing for like, everybody to do and people to like sign up for something that's challenging but then also see I mean people like yourself you know like people have watched you race your bike for your like career in Europe and like watched you do really crazy hard things and then they get to line up with you or see you at the finish like I think all aspects of that like everyone is sort of drawing inspiration from different parts of the scene Um, and that to me is kind of what it's all about and that's what it's all about (laughs) seeing what you did and i guess like the the thought behind it i think is such a perfect example because i mean you and i both kind of hear it from people 
on the inside and the outside, like, oh, the racers are taking it too serious. Or, you know, there's some people out there, you know, I guess I'm thinking of like TJ Eisenhart, like, oh, he's, he doesn't care at all about the racing. It's like, yes, but we don't need to define what fun is. You know, some people, like I said, and for still in my life, still in your life, going fast with the strongest people in your category and like, you know, going pole for pole, that's really fun. Like, I really enjoy that. Yeah. But equally, there's other times, you know, when I'm like, hey, I just want to go ride the event. And, you know, I want to go see what it's like and ride with the people yeah, in the middle totally. and the back. And I think that that's really cool what you did. And hopefully, I mean, my hope would be that it sets a precedent going forward that athletes and brands and event organizers realize that it's also okay for athletes, if they choose, you know, to come to events and just participate, you know, because there's also yeah. a lot of value in that. Do you, can I ask you a couple questions? Cause that, so some of, well, I learned a lot when I was at gravel worlds. Cause that was sort of my first, we'll just call it what it was. It was a world tour road race. <laughs> yes. Well, and... Ted and I have decided it's called the Grode world championship because it's a road race <laughs> off road. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's what it felt. And I have, like I said, I've really done very close to zero road racing other than collegiate and then hopping in to the Gila one year and I remember walking <laughs> for part of the Gila so I'd, I wouldn't even consider that um my like road career <laughs> but anyway I was around like a very different scene and it felt very disconnected from and not in a bad way I mean it was just totally different yeah. like I was like oh clearly like this is really interesting to me as a social experiment <laughs> like Europeans and are in bike racing in a very different way from like road to cyclocross now to what they define gravel as. And I think if they came to an event like Steamboat or Big Sugar or like literally any of the gravel events in the U.S., they would be like absolutely blown away. One, because of the level or unbound, you know, like that is like what I think has gone as like the definition of like the, the Tour de France of gravel racing in some ways which is so funny to me but i i feel like there there was a huge like miss because there wasn't this like other side of the sport the important side in in a lot of ways like yeah there were like famous bike racers attending this this race but like i don't know it just kind of felt like uh you know that like wish.com all of those like funny like reels and tiktoks that you see about like what I expected it to be and then like what I got, it was sort of like the wish.com version of gravel yeah. racing. <laughs> well, I mean, and this is something I wanted to kind of dive into because, you know, I guess people could look at the campaign, it's supposed to be fun and then say, oh, but Sarah also went to the UCI Gravel <laughs> World Championships. <laughs> but, you know, again, it was the first one that had ever happened. No one really knew what was going on. Yeah, I didn't know. Um, you know, I guess, you know, I mean, I just want to hear about your experience there what was the what was the racing yeah. like you know what was the atmosphere like um and how was it different than u.s gravel yeah well that's the reason that i just well i first of all i had an opportunity to go with specialized so like that was like financially taken care of so that was that was awesome but it was a huge i've never gone to a world championships in some ways like on the performance side, I was like, this is a cool opportunity that I get to have. Like I've never, when I raced cyclocross, um, I decided that I didn't want to, to try and play the points game, which is sort of what you have to do with cross. Like you have to go to all the races to earn, you know, UCI points and then hopefully you get selected or win nationals. 
So this was sort of like a way in for me. I was like, cool, this is the thing that I know really well. Like I have done gravel racing for a while. I really want to see what Europeans interpret gravel racing to be. And I have an opportunity laid in front of me. And I would say at this point, I am an opportunist. And so I wanted to make it happen. Um, and I did. And it was an incredibly interesting um, experience for me. Like it very much felt like the serious um, UCI version of like what we do in the US. Like I warmed up on rollers. I had Team USA kit. It was really challenging to navigate the whole Team USA stuff. There was a lot of rules. I mean, to the point where like, you know, Dylan and my team manager like went to go like pick up our numbers at red or registration or whatever. And you have to like bring your, you know, your Federation's kit with you and like IDs and like buy the right licenses. And they were like, Oh, this logo on the US team USA kit, which I have no like, yeah, you didn't design with. it. Yeah. I did not design <laughs> yeah. it. This is not my own kit. I had to sp spend my own money on this kit, which like the last time I bought a kit. Uh, and so they like, bring it up and they're like oh this athletic greens logo is like you can't have this like you can't race in this and they're like we this is like the updated kit like I don't know what, like it was just a lot of like rules and like in some ways I understand because like the point of UCI racing is everything is standardized everything needs to be predictable because athletes are there for one thing and one thing only to perform yeah and that's how it felt in some ways, but I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to do that. I want to be here because I want to race against women from all over the world. I thought that was like the coolest part. It also was really cool to race just with women and have our own day of racing. I was really disappointed that the men's race attracted like four times as many spectators yeah. as the women's race that did. And that felt like we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> we'll just go ahead and take that on. Um, but there was like, there was some like really cool parts and then some things that I was like, Ugh, eh, I hate this. I hate like the whole call up thing in some ways was more stressful. And then in other ways was less stressful because as we know, well, you seem fine with like starting in the back of like unbound and then you can just zip up to the front. But people like me, don't have that and i like get stressed out with like the lineup and the call up or not the call up thing but like yeah, getting a good start spot yeah. for like leadville and unbound but anyway there's there's a lot <laughs> yeah no i mean and i guess you know ted and i spoke about it a little bit i watched both the women's and the men's race um which was i mean one of the cool things about it is that it was televised which was really cool to actually be able to see yeah. the race and, and, you know, it wasn't televised in the same degree that a professional road race is on because you can't really have a camera in front of the rider. So it's more behind. Um, oh. So it was a little well, also bit. Also, the, the motos kept dumping it in front of us. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, it affected our race at one point. Like it divided the group on like the, the only bit of like narrow single track. One of the motos just like tipped over and it divided like the lead peloton from yeah. like 20 to like 10 and 10. Yeah. Well, and anyway. one and one of the things that I think a lot of people gave criticism towards the event this year was that the course wasn't, I mean, a lot of people, especially who came from the U.S., didn't think it was like gravel, but you're kind of also limited to the, you know, the location of the event. You know, if you put the world championships right. in the Netherlands, 
people are going to complain there's no climbs. Like, well, there's no mountain passes in the Netherlands. Right. So <laughs> that's, okay. that's kind of what you get. And, you know, they're kind of, you know, bound by what's available. Um, so it will be interesting in years to come to see as the courses yeah, change I did, locations. I did a lot of thinking about that because like, you know, for me, obviously, like it was an incredibly flat course. It like started out with like the majority of the climbing was in the first like 10K. So it was like really steep climbing in the very beginning, like cyclocross pro XCT level, like of separation. And then there was like all these like cool, like weird little turns and like bridges and bike paths. And then it just like flattened out. And it was just these like straight, long, flat sections. And I just got exploded because like these girls can like pedal, I don't know, watts, but like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that was eye-opening for me, but that was not the part in my mind. I'm like, okay, if this is my job to be a professional athlete, like I should be able to adapt to any sort of terrain. Like unbound is not something I'm naturally good at. Leadville is, but I need to like, I work really hard to train my body to be able to pedal really hard on flat things. Um, that was not the piece that I was upset about because like you said, like, I don't know, sometimes like, there isn't there aren't mountains there aren't hills like there's also not like gravel roads in Europe like we have here like the infrastructure of their countries are not like based on farming and fire roads and like you know the things that we have here and why we have dirt roads here and how we have them however the length of the course felt like they could have done a little bit better of a job for both the men and the women's race in making it long because to me part of what makes gravel racing different than road racing is that there's an attrition component to it, which like, I don't know, some people would argue that makes it less interesting to watch. But like, to me, that is what defines like a gravel race. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing that I just, in watching the race, I just saw so many similarities with road racing, you know, bottle hand ups. Yeah. And, and, and I guess, you know, one of the things, and I mentioned this with, with Ted was that I really love about current U.S. gravel race. And I know, you know, your partner Dylan comes to a lot of events with you and helps you out with mm -hmm. whatnot, but that you can kind of do it by yourself. You know, I mean, there's a few, yes. there's a few events yes. that you can, you know, maybe like Unbound in particular, you need to have someone at the aid station, mm -hmm. but you know, SBT and BWR and all these other events, like you can fly there by yourself. You can, you don't need any support. It's neutral water, but watching the UCI race, I'm like, oh wow. Well, so now, and you know, you need a whole team of people. You know, you probably need someone who has like a UCI accreditation to go pick up your packet. You need a mechanic. You need someone in the feed zone to do water. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. So this all of a sudden just went from like, I can do this by myself to now I need a whole team of people around me to support me to do this. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, some of those things, like I, I talked to Sophie a lot because like I said, I've never been like, you know, you knew all those things. I did not know any of those things were like a component of this side of racing because I found my career with gravel. And the reason that I committed more to gravel than cyclocross is the same, the same thing. It's like the resources, like it's cool to be in a sport where like I, when I won BWR, granted it was a different time and in, in the landscape of gravel racing, but I literally just showed up yeah. and like, it was me. <laughs> and that was it. Like Allison Tetrick was like, Oh no, no, this is how many like snacks you need to bring. And like, they will like, go through the aid stations, don't stop, like, just grab a bottle. Like, yeah. it was so funny, like, to to think about all the pieces that you just didn't know, but you could just show up with a bike. And I think 
for the UCI, this event, we'll see what happens next year. I think next year will actually be equally as interesting because this year they're like, you could ride like in the rules in the tech guide, they're like, you can ride whatever equipment you want. Like someone could have showed up on a mountain bike. People were on road bikes for some reason. Um, and most, most were on gravel bikes with like pretty aggressively skinny uh, tires. But I mean, you should have seen at least the pro tour stuff. Like, I, I mean, I saw it from like specialized standpoint and was on all these like group messages with like the guys that you used to race with. I'm sure I don't know their names, but like, I mean, Sagan, I do know. And like that whole crew, the amount of resources that was provided for these guys to like be a competitive racer at this event was insane. I mean, we're talking like boxes of tires and tubes and spare bikes with like, like sent with like wheels on like to the, like it was, it was mind boggling. And then the like crews, like there were eight feed zones and everyone had a crew in the feed zone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and I mean, I guess, you know, in no ways am I like adamantly against it. It's just, it's very different than what you and I have seen in, yeah, yeah, in U.S. Sure. travel. It's just, it's a different thing. Um, Absolutely. I guess my question would be, would you, and, and it will definitely change next year, you know, credit to the UCI, like they've tried it. They're going to figure it out. There's, you know, things that they're learning along the way, just like, you know, Unbound has learned things along the way. Mm-hmm. Will you go back? Or do you have any interest in going back next year and I um, guess potentially doing some of the other UCI well, World Cup <laughs> events to, to qualify or whatnot? That's what will become, I, for me, that'll, that'll be the question. It's like, if I could just go and like apply the way that I did this year, I, I would consider going again. Um, one, because I was like, damn, this is a whole different level of racing for me. Like I was racing hard for the top 20 with uh, just other women. So like, that was pretty cool. Like, I think I was alone for like 15 minutes, but I was, the level was an inspiring level of racing for me. Like it was cool to like basically jump into a world tour road race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The depth. Someone who yeah. Did, uh, yeah. As someone who's never been able to do that. Um, and I'm not saying that like unbound doesn't provide that level. It's just a really different experience. Um, I don't know if I want to play the game though. Like, I don't know if I want to go do races that I like, I already sort of feel like I have to do that um, with, like the Grand Prix and that's something that really suits me and there's a lot of excitement in the U.S. surrounding that and that that's what I was going to say like I kind of feel like it's almost so different from gravel in the U.S. from Unbound from the Lifetime Grand Prix from all these like really exciting cool things that people want to come do or even other European gravel races like I, I want to go do a couple of those this year Um, But the like the UCI gravel thing is like almost a different sport in a way that I think personally is is just going to be its own little world. I don't think it I don't think it's really going to take away from anything in the U.S. Like if I were get like, for example, if UCI gravel worlds fell on the same weekend as Unbound. I think most people would choose to do Unbound. Well, I, I have, I have, well, we can move on from the UCI, but I do have one question because it was, it is a thing that I, I haven't really heard a lot about, you know, with the American women's team, you <laughs> sure. had, you had what, there was five, were there five women in the pro race from the US? Yeah. Yeah. It was did, like me and all the road races. <laughs> yeah. But did you, 
and I don't, I didn't see the rule book either. Are team tactics allowed? Or before the event, did you guys talk about like, hey, or you know, if if you know Lauren is up the road, do you guys talk about like, hey, we're not, I'm not going to chase if you're up there, or is it? I guess, and maybe the American team approached it different than other federations. Where were as you guys racing as, by yourself, or was there like a team mm, mentality of like let's work together? And I guess did you feel that from other teams? For Team USA, there was no discussion. I will say there was like a bullet point in the application. Pro- so I applied. Um, I didn't like do any of the qualifiers. I just like <laughs> wrote to that or like did the application process. So for people listening, that is sometimes a thing that you can do. Um, and I like had to share with them like, oh, I'm ranked second in the Grand Prix, like blah, blah, blah. Um, you should send me. <laughs> um, so part of that application, it felt like they just copied and pasted the application to go to road championships. And you basically had to sign off on the idea. Like one of the bullet points was like, you will be willing and able to work under a team director and team tactics to deliver USA team like gold or something like that. And I was like, that's interesting. We'll cross that bridge if we come to it because I am paying my way. I bought my kit specialized. I feel more inclined to work for Team Specialized than I do to for Team USA, just based on like <laughs> the business side. But I've learned a lot with that. And so in my mind, I was like, well, if someone, some random person from USA Cycling who has not helped me at all, other than like, hey, congrats, you guys are on this team. Spend all these mon- all this money to do all of these things. Like, good luck out there. Like, we won't be there. We probably won't even watch. It's sort of how it felt. So I was like, well, I'm not going to work for Team USA. However, I really like all of the women. And so I was like, if they were in a break that I knew of, because there's no radios, like no one was really telling us anything, I would have not obviously bridged the group back. But if I felt like I could also win a medal, like maybe I would have. I don't know. I think it was pretty individual from Team USA. To my knowledge, the only team out there that really even had first of all had numbers was team italy was the italian team and i had heard from other like road team directors who were in the sport who had athletes on that team that there were team tactics that they were working for some of the women um out there i don't think um uh the woman who got third chiara I don't believe that that was their goal. It was not to deliver her to the line. She was like one of the workhorses and then she ended up crushing it and doing really well. But um, to my knowledge on the women's side, it was just uh, the Italian team who had team tactics. But I I really, unfortunately, I only speak English and can like understand Spanish. So I don't really know. (laughs) Perfect. Well, you were naively... um... Yeah, yeah, just there. Yeah. And yeah, which is cool. I mean, yep. we don't need I was to... just holding on to wheels, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll we'll see how this develops. Um, but I guess a series that is completely independent was the Lifetime series, and you finished on the podium there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I tied, which is insane. <laughs> yes. And so is it is it count back based off of finishes? I guess if you had the same points, I assume you'd have the same yeah. standings potentially. Yeah. So, um, And I remember reading this ahead of time. I just knew at Big Sugar. So I went in to Big Sugar one point ahead of Sophia. And I knew if I wanted to keep that, that I had to finish in front of her. And as she said, she's a really hard person to finish in front of. (laughs) And that, you know, is true. Like she's a really 
strong racer. And so we actually ended up um, uphill sprinting to the line at Big Sugar and she finished um, right in front of me. And so she won the tiebreaker. Oh, so her yeah. finish earned her the same points that I had with my finish. Um, and the only way that I could have not, the only way that I could have like finished the race without a tiebreaker was if I finished ahead of Sophia. Yeah. And so she did. So that put her in a tie. And then the lifetime Grand Prix, just everyone out there. So, you know, the tiebreaker is your uh, placement at the last race, not yeah. cumulatively of other races. Okay. Yeah. So which I mean, does get complicated, but it's also kind of cool that, you know, and especially I think more, well, way more so in the women's side, the, yeah, it was, it was, you know, tight until the end. <laughs> yeah, it was um, super cool. And I guess, you know, as someone who didn't do the lifetime Grand Prix, did would, was your mindset going into it? And I guess maybe now back looking back, did you, race the series or did you race the race or did that change throughout the year mm. if that makes sense you know because some no, races totally. you know twin totally. unbounder for you leadville is uniquely important regardless if it's part of the series or not yeah. but at some point maybe yep. it's like well i'm racing if i finish 12th or 10th might make a difference in a month's time at big sugar right yeah that's such a good question um and i will answer it <laughs> with this notion my experience as a bike racer at month seven of the race season versus month one. So like I, uh, big sugar versus uh, sea otter. And I felt like a completely different bike racer emotionally and physically at that point in the race. And I would say I started out at um, uh, sea otter feeling like I was racing each race. Like I wanted to win every single race. And I, I mean, I did, but I also, sort of saw after my finish at unbound which was around halfway in the season which is crazy um that it it actually was more about consistency and i know yeah. that i'm a really consistent racer um i didn't win a single <laughs> race in the grand prix um unlike my uh competitors on yeah. the on the top three steps yeah. um but I, you know, like a lot of my friends who know me and were following were like, yeah, that checks out. Like, I just can can do pretty okay for yeah. most, most things. Like, if they throw in a – I've heard rumor of them throwing in a road race. Like, oh, I'm wow. confident that I could – which would be super interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I've heard rumors of them, like, acquiring other, like, actual, like, more single-tracky mountain bike races. And I just feel like – consistency was sort of my superpower for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, and having been part of the first year of this, of, like this series, yeah. um, and obviously I, you're probably more in the know than I am as far as what's going to happen next year with potentially a road race or maybe a full on single track mountain. I think it's race. just a lot of rumors to be honest. Yeah. I don't actually think I know. <laughs> would it be something that you would sign up for again next year? Ooh, I know this is like always the question. Well, I remember talking to you last year when I was driving to Chicago yes. for cross nationals and I, and you were like sort of deciding not to do it. And I was like kind of stoked on it, but for like the wrong reasons, I was like, cool. It's something that like, I'll just know what I'm doing all year long. Yeah. <laughs> like I thought that was a positive thing way back then. Um, I, I think I will do it. Um, it's 
well, it's kind of a loaded question because obviously like you want to do the things that like your sponsors are stoked on you doing. And I won't say I'm getting like, I don't feel like I'm getting pressure specifically from my sponsors to do this, but it does feel like the most exciting thing um, that's happening in the like off-road arena in the U.S. other than like putting pressure on like winning Unbound or winning Leadville. Like I think any one of those races is exciting and cool. Um, Like I think the BWR series looks awesome as well. And it'll be cool to see like if that gains some like momentum and traction um, within the scene. Cause maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe I'm just like drinking the Kool-Aid and no one actually cares about the Grand Prix. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, and as someone who didn't participate, but did, I guess I only did one event. I think Unbound was the only event that I did from the series, which is an event that I you know <laughs> will go back to and, and you know love. Totally. Um, but it was from the outside cool to kind of follow, you know, especially on the women's side, how competitive it was throughout the year. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, we don't we don't really know what's going to happen, and I also feel it could be very well for any athlete next year who decides to do the BWR series lifetime series and potentially some of the UCI stuff. It's like, wow, that's a, that's a heavy calendar. And that doesn't leave much space for local events or regional events. Some of the things that I really liked now that I'm finished with the series is that like, it was cool to like have people like follow along. Like my parents, (laughs) my parents for first off, like they, they like understood it. Like it was kind of like funky with like, honestly, I think they understand the points thing more than I do um like that felt really positive and like something that like kept people like tuning in because like i mean a seven month series is feels very long to the athletes but also like for spectators too so i was like curious if people actually like if that held people's interest which makes sense that there's so much emphasis put on big sugar at the end of the year because like they want people to be like still invested in the series Um, as an athlete, like I, you know, I will say like, and I, I think I told you this in the middle of the season, but like, whew, when you're three races in and you have three races to go, it's not that much racing, but it's a lot of emotional effort that like you put towards this. And like, I can say that I'm a consistent racer and that I was just like, I wasn't just drifting through everything. Like I was very focused on the Grand Prix, especially as I like crept up in the standings, I actually was having to like say no to fun races that I had signed up for and wanted to do because I wanted to like, I didn't want to get crashed out. I wanted to like not get sick because anytime you travel, like you could potentially get COVID and it just like that sort of stuff really weighs on me personally. And that's something that I'm going to change for next year. Like I'm actually going to add in more races between the Grand Prix races and it might pan out and it also might not, but going back to the, like the fun having part, that's how I want to be a bike racer. Like I want to do other things and not just the Grand Prix. Like I experienced what it feels like to focus just on a series and it, it got pretty, got pretty dark in the middle of the season. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a learning experience and you, you did finish on the podium in the end. So I'm sure now you're like, sweet. I was on the podium. I know. I know. I'm trying to let, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, that like that rose tinted thing of looking behind you, that definitely happens. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate you being so open and honest about the entire season and about all the different things you got involved with. And we'll definitely catch up at some point next year about 
well, maybe early in the year about what you have planned and what you're looking to do. But uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of events on the horizon, regardless of what you choose to do. Yeah, I know. I, I think I'm going to be at a, a lot of new stuff. So I'm excited about it. And hopefully come to Vermont for an event. That was the one of the ones that I was like, damn it. <laughs> so I do want to see Vermont. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, thanks, Dan. Enjoy your afternoon and good luck at the Cyclocross Single Speed World Championships. <laughs> yeah, yes. Thank you. I'll need it. <laughs> well, there we have it, folks. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I hope you all enjoyed today's show and my conversation with Sarah Sturm. If you want to see more about the It's Supposed to Be Fun campaign, you can head over to Wahoo's YouTube channel. We did do a film with Sarah at SBT Gravel, and Sarah talks a little bit more about why she started the campaign and what it means to her to have fun on two wheels. So folks, with that, until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, remember it's supposed to be fun, and I'll catch you back here on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo.